Hello and welcome to the Product Breakfast Club podcast by AJ and Smart, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful chat between designer and co-founder of AJ and Smart, Jonathan Courtney, and Jake Knapp, the New York Times best-selling author of Design Process Book Sprint. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Jake has set it so that John gets a little electric shock each time you do. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. Hey, everybody. Hey. Woo. Hey, everyone. Episode hey, everybody four. out there. Episode four already. I mean, you know, it's, it's actually crazy. How do we get to episode four already? thought we were going to just Seems do like it one. It's just episode three, and now it's four. <laughs> This is uh, we're back to a normal, the normal product breakfast club um, consistency, or maybe constellation is the best thing to say, where it's nighttime here in Berlin and it's morning time with Jake. It's morning. I had to have to block out the blinds behind me because it's just it's so sunny here in California. How is it in Berlin? Is it is it pretty pretty nice there? You see, I mean, if you're on YouTube, you can see behind me here this the blackness. It's been like this since about 2 p.m. So it's not really, I can't really talk about the, the weather here. It's, 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 you don't it's, even know. It's just black. No, it's just black. It could be really sunny. It, it, maybe it's like really, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, I actually like it. I have no problem with this. Like some people get really worked up about the weather being bad. And they're like, oh, I need to get out of here in the winter. I start feeling sad. But um, I, I find it cozy. But I'm also from Ireland. So I spent 20 years in the darkness. So. I don't really want yeah, it. Ireland's even further north. If my geography serves, is that right? Um, much I don't know. No, it's it's very similar. It's very similar. Okay. It's on a very similar latitude. Is latitude the right word? Maybe. No latitude. Let's say is it is. The, I don't yeah. want to talk about it anymore. Platitude. It's a. It's at the same. It's at the <laughs> same uh, vertical on the no same horizontal on the globe. When you have a globe, turn it around. Same horizontal. Welcome to the Product Breakfast Club podcast. The podcast about product process and globes <laughs> so i mean it was actually a crazy last two weeks right yeah we we were in the same place doing a workshop here in san francisco doing product breakfast club podcasts and and then i've done another workshop in austin and uh, now now back home for thanksgiving which would sound really old to the people who are listening to this. Yeah, I mean, so, if and what is Thanksgiving for all, all the European listeners? I didn't know it was Thanksgiving, which is why I apologized when we started. Um, something about turkeys. Yeah, it's the one day of the year when, as Americans, we're, uh, we're grateful for what we have. And then uh, the rest of the year, we just try to take things from other people. Ah, okay. That's fair enough. That's fair yeah. enough. I can yeah. understand that. That's fair. It's balance. It's cool. all about balance. Yeah, here it's just uh, Thursday. That's what we call it here, <laughs> here in Berlin, Thursday, just hanging out, hanging out. Yeah, it, was, it was really cool uh, last two weeks, actually. I mean, we there was a lot of things happened. I don't re- really even know how much we can talk about it because of NDA stuff. But the workshop was really great. I mean, it was like a two-day design sprint boot camp. We had some really, really cool companies there. It was definitely like a career highlight for me. Def- for you, it's probably just like whatever. Yeah, it was just an off day for me. Whatever. It was amazing. We had super, we had super cool companies there. We had, uh, we have like uh, Slack and uh, Medium and Airbnb and um, Netflix and Keep all going. kinds of cool companies. Keep we're going. probably gonna have to bleep, bleep all that out. Uh, no. I don't know if we're allowed to say their names. Well, I think that, but I think we are. I think it's fine. Yeah, it was pretty cool, and uh, and so it's fun to see that people are doing design sprints and they wanna they wanna know more about it. Uh, so, so it was, that was cool. And we had, we had really good food and coffee. It was a fun time. I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was really, really great. It was such a really, it was a really great week. Are we allowed to mention where we were on Wednesday? Who we met on Wednesday? Maybe not. Maybe. If I, who did you meet on Wednesday? (laughs) I can't remember. We went to a particular, (laughs) we went to a particular, uh, well-known design agency and, and Oh yeah. Well, yeah, of course we can say that. Yeah. Yeah, We were at IDEO hanging out and Tim Brown came by Timmy Brown. I I actually almost said Tim Cook. 
<laughs> Tim Cook came by. I was really, I was super, uh, he looks really different in person, this Tim Cook guy. <laughs> I got him yeah, to sign no, my we... iPhone. <laughs> it was really confused. Was like, Why does this make sense? Yeah. But I'll do it. No, yeah, no, but we, yeah, we got to go to, we, we went by IDEO and we talked about running a design agency, which I don't know anything about, but you do. And of course, Apparently. Tim does. Because he's run IDEO for for a long time and really built it up, built up the the brand over the over the years. So pretty, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and and you met Kevin Rose. I don't know if you were allowed to say that either, but the K man. Uh, I don't know who. I don't know why we think people were like listening. As to this if podcast. anyone's going to listen First to this all, fucking thing, exactly. Like no one's listening. <laughs> I but also then, met the Pope. Also the, <laughs> yeah, they're listening and they're like, oh, wait, they said my name. They like, said my like name. Kevin Rose is just listening to every podcast <laughs> to make sure that he's authorized all the mentions. Exactly. Kevin listens Probably to every, yeah. he's. I mean, he's just got nothing to do, you know. He's just relaxing, you know. I don't know what he actually does. Just listens to podcasts. Just listen to our <laughs> podcast. I mean, everybody everybody we meet listens to this, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I have to assume everyone will be listening to it. Hundred percent. Right. I mean, it's great. I think I people are probably. We haven't even obviously like released it because we're just doing the first episodes. Yeah. People are probably hacking in. Yeah. To your servers because you have servers, right? They're hacking right in. Hundred percent. Taking the yeah, taking the raw files, editing them themselves so they can get early access. Yeah. It's all over the globe. This podcast now, so. is gone. It has gone viral, actually. Uh, still, I mean, it's still. I mean, if you're listening to this episode, episode four. Uh, we still haven't released the podcast, but it, it has gone viral. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know how that even happened. Yeah. People are making the artwork know. for it. They're they're putting it on uh, however you put it on the iTunes. We don't even know how to do that yet. But um, I don't even yeah, know they crazy. figured it out for us. It's amazing. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah, really yeah. cool. Yeah, it's and also um, if you're listening to this and you're still like, hey, you promised me in episode one that the audio quality was going to get better. Um, <laughs> is it really gonna it is really at some point. we really? will get better yeah i mean i'm gonna get um jake's gonna get a new mic i'm gonna get a like a spit guard here because i keep spitting on everything um <laughs> we're gonna get different software who knows what we're gonna do but first of all the most important thing is that we're getting started and that's kind of like the you know that's the, right that's, exactly you know that's the way that's the thing that's the thing we're getting started and we're you know it's 90 percent of the way to a real podcast so it's People we're talking. Yeah. Just try it out. People, People talking. Yeah. People talking. And that's I have topics. I have topics to talk about today. Oh, that's good. Besides name dropping, we've done yeah. so far name oh, dropping round. I have one more name <laughs> drop. I have one more name drop. I oh. didn't even think about it oh. if, if we're doing a name dropping round. Um, yeah. Also, next week, you're going to be speaking at Google's first Design Spring conference. And uh, some that's AJ true. and Smarties yeah. are going to be there, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're going to have uh, two folks from AJ and Smart there speaking, kind of like taking over every panel, I think, at, the, at the conference. But yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just going to be there. They're having a, a design sprint conference, which is which is exciting, I think. You think? You know, people want to talk about it. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's interesting. I can never tell anymore if I'm excited. I'm so excited all the time that I just have to imagine what it would be like for someone who who wasn't if they would be excited now. I can teach you. I, as you can tell. <laughs> Why aren't you eating breakfast, by the way? That's the kind of premise of the podcast, right? It took us so long to figure out what height the microphone uh, should be at. I know. I, it's almost lunchtime now. I think it's you actually need to lower it one more, by the way. I, I would, I would okay. recommend one more lowering. So while you're lowering um, your microphone, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick right into the first and maybe only topic because I know how long we, we tend to ramble. And this is a topic that we have both discussed a lot of times, but I don't think we've ever kind of, oh, by the way, I have to say, and, and this is why these topics go on for so long, because now I'm on another tangent. I had to listen back to the first three episodes to check out if they were actually worth publishing. And I, I assume they actually wouldn't be, but they were. Um, and one thing I realized is all the different little annoying speech things that I do. And that's the worst thing about listening. The worst and best thing about doing a podcast, I think, uh, is that you're like, oh, my God, why do I keep saying that? Um, and I'll tell you, I keep saying kind of. And now I notice when I say it. And even though I do these YouTube videos all the time, I guess our edit, my, my editors actually take that out. And so I'm, oh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really eloquent. And then I hear the podcast unedited. And it's like kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. 
on YouTube, you're just like Max Headroom. You're just like the but I exactly. Pond. 1994, and it's just it's all kind of smoothed out with all the kind ofs removed. Exactly, it's jerky. It sounds so good. It sounds so good on yeah. YouTube. I just didn't realize that I was such a bad public speaker. I mean, I also hear myself at these conferences and things, and it's just yeah, I don't know. But at the conferences, I haven't noticed. I haven't noticed. But now that you mention it, I'll of, start keeping a log of all the annoying things kind that of, you do. I kind of noticed. Actually, uh, one thing I want to say, um, just relating to the Google conference next week. Um, there's a huge difference between speaking in the U.S. and speaking in Europe, by the way. Like, and oh, I think we say more about that. It's it's just all to do with the swearing in the in Europe because I, <laughs> I think there's just so many different languages, and because I'm Irish, and because you know D is Australian, and like there's so many people from different countries in uh, at AJ and Smart, and a lot of countries are very sweary, especially Ireland, Ireland and England and Australia. There, we use words that you guys consider to be like insanely bad. Like there's a word with the letter C that we use all the time, like as a yeah. almost like, hey, you're such a that word. And as yeah, a, as a friend, you mean you're such a crisp. You're such chips. a crisp. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, God. Um, it's, oof, yeah. I can barely. And we <laughs> we use it as a term of endearment, um, like I would call my co-founder. Ah, you're such a crisps. Um, And I would call like, like even my wife, I would say, yeah, you're such a crisps. She would say it back to me, crisps. But in the the US, it's like, you have to be a little bit careful about what you say because people are very, they're sensitive to that sort of thing. You know, it's like, we're uh, we're gentle. We're we're gentle gentle. folk. You know, you come over here with your crisps and your, you know, your shoots and your (laughs) darns. And we're just like, ah, yeah. I don't know if this is a safe place. It's tricky. You guys love the safety. It's very, it's very different over here in Europe. I told you a little bit about Bergheim. I'm not going to go into it. Anyone listening who knows what Bergheim <laughs> is, knows what I'm talking about. But this would never happen in the U.S. It's just... This would never happen. This is everyone not okay. would get Everyone would get arrested and it would be like front page of whatever newspaper you have the, the day <laughs> it opens. Like, it's just, yeah, a lot of... Germany's weird. I mean, in a good way, but... I'm getting... I think I'm getting better, but I have a feeling there's going to be some swearing happening on stage at the Google event coming from AJ and Smart members, which is... Oh. Maybe. Actually, I'm going to warn them uh, because I've had to t- I've had to tone it down. Like I've really toned it down. Also for the podcast because I know a lot of people from US uh, the US will listen. A lot of one person. Um, okay, now I'm going to go into the topic. I think you know. Actually, you did a really good job at the workshop though. I mean, it was two days, and I thought you dropped like maybe one uh, one swear f bomb the whole time. So that was, that was pretty good. I don't even I can't remember what it was, but. Yeah, it was, it was low. It was it was a low figure of of those. So that was that's impressive. I mean, really, it's a, I think it's okay. I think people are okay with it, you know. Yeah. But they but there is a there is a there's a the line is definitely different. The line is it's, not in the same place. You know what I think it is, and I, and I think maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but in the U.S., when I'm one on one with somebody and talking to somebody and I'm swearing, they'll they'll get sweary, right? They'll kind of they'll they'll, they'll yeah. just let it rip. But I think everyone's concerned about the group. Everyone's concerned oh, about yeah. like looking yeah. bad in the group or seeming like you're yeah. okay with swearing. So when I speak at companies in the U.S., you know, I'm I at, at the very start of my U.S. career, uh, people would come up to me at the end and say, "Hey, that was really great," and yeah, and yeah. But maybe next time you could tone down the swearing. And I'm like, I didn't even swear. I've been, uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> that that word is a swear word for you guys. Okay, fair enough. So um, yeah, and, and it's funny because I every so often in our workshop last week, I did. I would stop mid-sentence really aggressively and change the word I'm going to say because I was just about to say, you know, well, on the podcast, I can say fuck. But <laughs> immediately yeah, every... Yeah, I could see you. I could, you know, you would be like, yeah, so up next when you get the... And you would just like try to hold it back and then like kind of physically recoil. Yeah. And then you would you would say the, the prototype... And it was exactly yeah, it was sort of weird, but I, for the paid I event, it. I held it back for the free. I did a free workshop on Wednesday night at WeWork in Soho. I was just like spitting out all the backed up fucks that I was holding back. It just and it all was just, came out. Yeah, and everyone was like, help me. People are just walking it. No, they weren't. they weren't. I think they don't care if it's free. All right. So let's just actually jump into a topic then. I think that um, people, I don't know if they're listening to this podcast for product um kind of talk or if it's just like random ramblings um yeah let's maybe do some product so i had a i have a little i have a little uh, subject to kick us off a little topic to kick us off um and when you see me looking over here 
unfortunately, that's the bad thing about it being a YouTube um, uh, ready podcast is that you can see me doing stuff. I've got like so much material around me right now. It's just ridiculous. But when I'm looking over here, it's because I'm looking at my notes. Um, and the topic, or the, at least the, the thing I want to talk about is this tension between creativity in a design process or in a design team or in a company or whatever, just the topic of creativity and how that differs from structure and routine and how this, this, there is this like tension. And maybe I can kind of, let's say, kick it off with a, a little anecdote which you like. You like anecdotes, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> so, exactly. So, I mean, for me, at, at least now, uh, like when I started AJ and Smart or when I started in the design world uh, nine years ago, when I was a little boy, um, <laughs> I was really all for, you know, this like open creativity and I didn't want anything to block me. And I didn't, I really did not enjoy companies imposing processes on me at all because I was kind of a bit rebellious. But as I started to grow the company, as I started to, to grow these teams and started to figure out how teams worked, I realized that you do need some structure, right? I think that you do need some basic processes to hold things together. And one really great um, uh, story or one really great example, I was chatting to um, one of the guys from GE who was at the workshop last week, name drop. Um, name drop, nice. <laughs> name drop. David O'Malley, actually, he's a great guy. But he, he was, I was chatting to him about this and he was like, there's a great experiment. You go into a big field. Of course, he's Irish as well, so it's always related to fields. You go into a big field, you put some kids there. I don't know why you have the kids in the first place, by the way. Let's just ignore that. You put some kids <laughs> in the middle of the field, wide open field, and you watch what they're doing, right? And basically, this wouldn't work in America. Everyone would just arrest you immediately. So you watch what they're doing, and they, they just kind of walk around, but they don't go very far from the center point. But where you, you literally them. do this? this no, is not you don't like have to literally do this. You literally get a field, and you just you get kids and put them in there. I think that this is not something you should do, but it's an experiment okay. that happened. It's an experiment. That it's happened. an experiment that yeah. happened. It's an experiment okay. that in happened. Ireland where they don't have laws. I okay, don't, continue. I don't know if they did it in Ireland or not. I don't really know how what happened. I don't know what this David guy was telling. No, but it's a really great example. <laughs> so you put the. I think they were kids anyway. You put them in the field and you just let them roam free, right? And what happens is they tend to not really go very far. They tend to kind of stick within the middle, like in the middle of the in the middle of the field, essentially, and they don't go very far from the center point. Now, you put a fence different kids we get let, let's get some different kids get rid of these ones now let's put some different okay. kids in the field but we put a, a really wide fence around them <laughs> this was way less creepy when he explained it to me now i'm really really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <this is> so... <laughs> now you put a fence around these kids and they actually walk to the edges of their boundary that has been created they use a lot more of the space and they play in a lot more of the space and the point is that having some sort of structure and having some sort of limitations allows you some sometimes more freedom than you would give yourself if it was completely open. Get it? I get it. I right. get it. Perfect. Get it. Yeah. Okay. So in this way, and another book I was um, reading at the moment is this Discipline Equals Freedom Handbook, which I was showing you this uh, <laughs> yeah, big, scary, crazy. black book here. And I think that uh, I really do believe personally that having some form of discipline, some form of routine within product teams and or within creative processes. It doesn't have to be product teams. It could be graphic design or brand or whatever, or just writing a book. I really do think that it gives you the freedom to focus on what the challenges are, what the problems are, and you're not thinking the whole time about where the boundaries are and where what the process is, right? So that I all I agree with. I'm 100% on board with that, and that's the baseline. However... Now, this is where the tension comes in. Last week when I got back from San Francisco, or this week when I got back from San Francisco, I, it was the first sprint that I'd, done in, that I'd taken part of in a long time where I felt like I had kind of maybe depleted my creativity or somehow I, I, I just felt really... It was, it was for a really cool um, brand that I really was excited uh, of working with. And I was just assuming, like every other sprint, that I would just jump into it and the structure of the sprint process would help me to, you know, pop out ideas like it always does. Now, the end of the story is that it actually all worked out because we had so many people in the room and we were able to bring these ideas together and it worked great. 
but I felt but your like, idea sucked. But my idea sucked, really. I really think that <laughs> this week of especially um, of all the weeks, I really felt like this this is this was a bad week. This happens sometimes, but I also feel like what it made me think and what it made me think about for the company of AJ and Smart when we're doing these sprints all the time is maybe we do need to introduce now that we've gotten so cold and so logical about building products, maybe we do need to introduce some form of open creativity or, well, yeah. some way to, let's say, and here's another book I've been reading, which has been The Artist's Way uh, by Julia Cameron. And she talks about this a idea much of different like, vibe. A much a different vibe. A much different vibe. <laughs> way, put up there. way less dark. Um, but what I really like, she talks about this filling the well, like this filling the creativity well, you uh -huh. know, having like this well of things to pull from, of inspiration to pull from. And it's like a process you go through every week. Um, yeah. And it just got me thinking, like there is this definitely a tension between creativity and structure. Um, I often think that structure is the best way to go and it kind of produces creativity, but yeah. I don't know, man, I, I felt it last week. I was like, what have I done here? Why isn't this a good idea? <laughs> this, I, I wasn't happy about it. What came out was great, but it definitely wasn't because of me. Yeah, no, there's a, there's a limit to what you can, in my opinion, to what you can accomplish with, with pure structure. And that seems it's, it's, it feels funny for me to say that because so much of my time over the last few years has been trying to insist on people that structure would, would set them free. Cause it does structure does help you in most cases. That's what people need. They need the fence around the field so that they can get started and start playing and not huddle in the middle thinking like, when is the demigorgon going to come out of the woods? Oh, um, classic the fence is going to keep you safe. But uh, I just started watching stranger things. That's why the reference now in 2007. Yeah, you're very far behind. Everybody watched that a while ago. Yeah. But, um, I think that the, the thing that like one thing that struck me recently is, uh, well, you know, you mentioned we visited IDEO and I think that's a, that's a group of folks who have really been, you know, intentionally thinking a lot about creativity over a long period of time and have developed this sort of culture of creativity. And I don't know if you felt it, but I feel it like when I go in the building there, yeah. and it sounded to me often like from the outside, I wondered with IDEO, like how much of that was sort of this brand or this story that they had crafted versus like, was it reality? And I, I really actually think it is reality of having been exposed to it a bit more. You go in there and you're like, wow, like they, they have some kind of, some kind of special thing. And they, and they, I know are thinking a lot about the processes that you do to, to refill the bucket and to draw inspiration. And I think what's challenging for somebody starting out in design is that you are starting off building products or starting off writing, being an artist, whatever is that you, you want to know what the right way to do it is. And, and I think that we often like over optimize on creativity, over optimize on like, let's make sure we evaluate everything and let's yeah. make sure we don't constrain this process and this idea that we're not going to constrain it so that we can do the perfect artistic thing i actually think that's much more common and that's why yeah you and i like with this idea of, of doing design sprints putting structure around it is really helpful and liberating in most cases but if you go too far in the direction of structure then at a certain point you do need you do need just some like some inspiration which is i mean yeah. actually that's why i'm watching stranger things i'm after i finish this book I'm working on right now. I have this idea for a science fiction book and I need some, like, I, I, I need some inspiration. I need to fill up that well. And so I'm, you know, trying to take more time where I do nothing and take time where I, where I watch TV shows, which normally like I intentionally think like watching TV is not a good use of time. It's, it's, it just like sucks your, your free time away from doing other things. But I'm trying to like carefully make room for the kinds of things I wouldn't normally do to, to try to spark some of that stuff and try to make room for my mind to wander. And it is important, but I think that people shouldn't start by optimizing there because that's, I think that's where, where a lot of people lean, but yeah. maybe, you know, maybe some people are more like, uh, um, you know, more rigid and processy from the start. I just felt like I had to work to get there. I don't know any company that is very rigid and processy from the start. I think that it's very, it definitely leans towards the creativity side. And, and most companies that I help out, their problem is that they have so much inspiration that they have no idea how to start something or where, where to, how to translate that inspiration into a product. And I think that yeah. 
I lean very, very heavy in the, on the cold, logical side of, of building products, but I also do 100%. Um, yeah, I, 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 I had the same feeling when I walked into IDEO, by the way. I had I really secretly wanted to hate it. I wanted, to, that I wanted it to suck um, because, of course, IDEO are, you know, uh, another design agency that you could book No, I know what of. you mean. You know, I mean, that's not a – that's like – that's like a thing I've, cause I felt like I've been trying to establish myself, my own identity as a designer. And I kind of wanted to say, go to IDEO and be like, Oh good. I'm actually better than them or something. Yeah, you know, like that's exactly. selfishly, that's like, I think that's this feeling that you have inside yourself. And then you go and you're like, Oh no, they're really cool yeah. and smart. And yeah. like they do great work and look how fun it is here. And look how much like they're throwing their heart into what they're doing. And it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's also impressive because they've been, They've maintained that culture for a really long time, which yeah. I don't think is easy to do. No, I really hate that I learned from them. I, I really, I really dislike. <laughs> I dislike that it was such a nice meeting. Um, I was hoping Tim Brown would just come in and punch me, and and I would be like, "Yeah, yeah I knew IDEO sucked. I knew it." No, but they were. It was really, really cool, and I definitely got. Um, I, I've, be, I've been to IDEO workshops um, a long time ago, but of course, obviously, this was them kind of doing workshops offsite. Um, or at conferences, and I always really liked them, and I always got a lot of inspiration from them. But of course, that's the surface level things, right? You're just seeing the, here's what design thinking is, and and here's again what right. design yeah. thinking is. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I get it. But then I went into the their office, and I was like, fuck, okay, these guys really know what they're doing, and they really this is a this is a company that it has like harnessed creativity and turned it into a, a business. It's very impressive. One thing that I think is interesting about them is how good they are at telling their story and talking about what they do and yeah. you know the, the they're well known because of that and sometimes i think it's easy to become skeptical of people who are really good at telling their story you know is the story the same on the inside as it is on the True. outside and i think for IDEO, you know it is and when you go in you see like oh this is the same this is the same thing that they do it's not an act yeah. This is actually honesty. This is what comes through is, is honest. And, and they're also good at crafting it and making it clear. Yeah. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Cause I think there are, you know, a lot of, there, there are probably a lot of companies that we, we wonder like how, how real, how honest are they being in the way they talk about what they're mm. doing and what they're up to? We're, we're sort of trained to be skeptical of, of the intent of companies and, uh, and yeah, these guys are, these guys are cool. I'm still skeptical because I don't want to like them. <laughs> no, it was really great. Um, maybe we can get the Tim Cook on the show at some point. <laughs> I just yeah, keep Tim. calling him Tim <laughs> Cook. So Mr. Cook, not even Tim, just Mr. Cook, like 100% wrong. I actually found the, the, the idea that you're watching Stranger Things as a way to fill up the well. It's obviously I could, I could mock you about the fact that you're just you kind should. of making some bullshit excuse for watching netflix like every so everyone else when they're binging oh, on yeah. netflix you know they're well, and that's clearly that's clearly <clears throat> what it is i mean it is it is definitely an excuse to do it but but i, I yeah. also can feel that like it does yeah you know i think that watching so i'm writing i'm writing a book about uh with my with my my friend about uh, my real friend not you hmm. uh with, with my friend about uh about making time for things that are important to you right and it's it, one of the things that i was as i was working on the book i was researching how much time people spend watching tv per day around the world and it's crazy it's like four and a half hours a day in the united states on average but it's not that much less in europe you know a lot of countries are uh, I think the UK is I want to say like three and a half or more. Um, it's it's hard to find. Maybe like Sweden was in the like two and a half, but like most countries are over three hours per day. Three hours per day. It's it's so much time. There's so much yeah. you could do with yeah. even part of that time. So I'm always really, really, really like have have gotten careful of of watching TV because I found that when I stopped watching TV regularly in the evenings i had time to write instead and so if i've written anything it's because i stopped doing that and that started to to like clear up some some time and and mental energy because if you're always absorbing other people's ideas you there's no room for your own ideas mm. you can't do that all the time there has to be room for you to just be quiet be bored and create things but below a certain threshold I think you, you, you stop gaining benefits from the quiet and from, from being in your own head. Yeah. And, and it started to be, it started to be really useful to, to actually 
see what you know other people are doing again and and uh and, and be up to date on it and yeah and it's and it is a great excuse to uh to watch it <laughs> no but honestly um one of my fa- one of like the products that i worked on this year that i'm most happy with um a large part of the concept came from playing a game called titanfall you obviously don't know what Titanfall is because you don't know like popular culture, but it's a very yeah. cool. <laughs> it was a very cool. Um, you've heard about Half Life, right? I have. Okay, that, yeah. So it it was very famous for kind of changing the rules of how games worked narratively. Um, and this game, Titanfall Two, came out, and it was very focused. Well, essentially, you are. It's a first-person shooter where you have a giant robot that you can get inside of. And a lot of how it worked in terms of the the story, the kind of mixture of platforming and uh, shooting and how it all worked with the um, achievements that you could unlock within that game. It was just floating around in my head once I started working on this new product and it suddenly came back to me during one of the exercises and I, and I was just like, oh my God, that's like a perfect match for what we're trying to solve here. They already solved it in this video game. And I think that's a, uh, for me, I, I actually have to force myself to play video games, which is a weird thing to say. I procrastinate on playing video games. I prefer to, it's easier for me to just watch crap on YouTube than uh, uh, load up my uh, PlayStation or, or Nintendo. Um, but I, I'm forcing myself to do it. Now, I actually forced myself. This sounds so weird and sad. I forced myself to finish the new Mario game. I loved it. I really, really loved it. But it takes me so long to get up the courage and to get rid of the procrastination to just turn it on and actually start playing. But once I do, I really I, I end up taking a lot of the mechanics and the um, inspiration back into the product work. And I think probably one of the reasons I was so drained for this um, sprint this week is that Rather than taking in a lot of new information, um, because we were giving so much, we were doing so many workshops. It was just like a, we were dumping information the the yeah. entire two weeks, and obviously yeah. loads of traveling, and obviously jet lag, and everything. Um, still no excuse. But I'm wondering. I'm just like thinking. I'm wondering now, and what I've been thinking about today is how to, within the structure of AJ and Smart, how to, um, yeah, somehow build in this inspiration sharing which is not just on the level of obviously whichever every company does which is like the okay we post stuff on slack and everyone can look at it um or we have like a once a month town hall where we tell you cool stuff i'm wondering if there's like a way that we can build it into the culture of aj and smart that somehow you discover cool shit and you kind of are you know inspired by it yeah help me you know one thing i mean I don't, I don't have the answer to that. Although I can certainly, I can certainly riff, uh, real time, which is the antithesis of the sprint process is brainstorm life. But what I, what I do think actually is that, and this is, this is kind of veers off of like podcast territory and into like, uh, um, being just giving you like candid feedback. That's about the fine. Way you run your company. <laughs> you guys run too many sprints. Yeah, you run too many, you know, and and there actually you can't run a sprint every week or almost every week, and not wear down that that creative part. Oh, and here comes, I think Flynn is coming in. <laughs> Hello, oh, <it's> Holly. <laughs> Hi, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> You're famous now, Holly. Your voice is famous anyway. Oh, that's see, that is lovely. Holly has brought me a coffee. My wife has brought that's, me nothing. <laughs> but shame. No, she's great. <laughs> Sorry, go on. You were insulting my uh, running of the I was business. Ins- I was insulting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't. I mean, yeah. So I know for I would you know I was, I was talking to some of your your colleagues about your sprint schedule because we were at the workshop and yeah. and they were talking about how I mean how many how many sprints have you all done since you started doing sprints or in the last six months let's well, say or the last year. One thing you have to consider is that so no, not considering it. I don't want to hear any run <laughs> two sprints per week uh, in parallel every week. Um, and yeah. there are two product teams as well. So yeah. we do try to give I mean, the, the way we're trying to solve that now is that we have a rotation system where people are rotated off the product team every three weeks and they have like one week to themselves. Um, 
But yeah, it's still the week itself. We're not sure exactly how that week is working. And as you know, with someone like D, we rotate her off a sprint and then send her to San Francisco to run a big workshop. Yeah, right. So it's yeah. not really, yeah. we're, we know that everybody's in quite a reactive state right now at AJ and Smart. Yeah. Um, well, and, I mean, you guys yeah. are in, you're in startup mode. You yeah. know, you're, you are a startup and yeah. growing super fast and trying to get a handle on it. And in my experience, and it's not like I'm like a, have like, you know, a bazillion years of doing the same thing, but when, just cause the design sprint is pretty new, yeah. but when I started doing it at Google and it didn't have like, it hadn't quite caught on and I was really still trying to like convince people, Hey, give this thing a shot. I was probably doing it maybe once a month and then twice a month. And so over the course of maybe a year and a half, I did like 25 of them. Mm. And then when I went to Google Ventures and we really started to find out, okay, now I know how to explain it. Companies get it. We were doing collectively like 35, 40 a year for like two or three years. And you hit, definitely hit this point where we like, you just had to dial back because yeah. it's so hard to get into a new problem every, you know, every week or two weeks. If you do th three a month, I think it's too much to be sustainable. It's okay yeah. for like a couple of years maybe, but, um, but it's really, it's hard. And so I think the first way to, to get more, um, to get more out of your team's creative, it's like to create more creativity is to just, if you can like put few, you know, even put fewer people on sprints or do something. Mm. So it just dials back a little bit to give people a little more time to do other stuff and to have what we always tried to do at, uh, Google ventures was to have these, these like make time sort of weeks, like a week where you're just, you have time to create something and yeah, it doesn't mean you don't have like a day or two of meetings, but but that week is it's a sprint or, you know, it's effectively there's a, a big block of time available to to me to dive into a writing project or for us to dive into working on the website or whatever it might be. And that was that allowed us to feel like a different mode. So yeah. I think part of what happens is just when you're in the same mode all the time, no matter what that mode is, then you you're going to get. It'll, you're going to get run dry on, agree. on inspiration. Yeah, I agree. Actually, so at Google Ventures, how did that work? Like, was there a roster, you know, like Jake is on week, week, off week, on week, on week, off week. And was there like a, was it explicit or was it rather, oh, I, I don't want to do a sprint this week. It was just, I don't want to do sprint yeah. this week. Oh, I, yeah. I just said that every week. Yeah. I was like, you guys do it. I'm just going to sit back here and take I credit wrote, for it. I wrote uh, the book, boys. <laughs> I wrote the book. <laughs> you do the sprint. I wrote the book. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, we had, I mean, practically how we did it actually, and I don't <clears throat> think this is really makes sense for many teams necessarily, but um, John and I were really into John Zeratsky. We're, we're like, we were in the same office. We were really into sprints and we would just most often the two of us would, would do a sprint together. And then whenever we could, we would, we would bring in, uh, we'd work with Brayden. We would work with Daniel. We would work with John, uh, Michael, Kristen, the other folks on our team. But it was, it was largely like we would sort of, we wanted to do sprints as much as we could. And again, like kind of starting to become aware of there's a certain point where you, it's like diminishing returns. And and then um, those other folks were also doing other things. They were doing sprints, but they were also like, you know, Daniel was also advising a bunch of companies on on their brand and their product and and like coaching founders. And the same with Brayden. And he was, you know, helping teams with like some deeper projects as well. So. I don't know how that, I don't know how to translate that to an agency, except that some people are more into sprints than other people and have more of like a, you know, an interest in just kind of doing it over and over again. Mm. And that, that does help. I think that it brings up an interesting topic that came up a lot at the bootcamp. So at the after party, um, I talked, I spoke to a lot of people who were really interested in learning more about what we're doing and, and they really wanted to tell us also what the problems in their companies were and what the like the product team level problems they had and yeah. a very 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 common problem they had now that i think about it is similar to what you just said is that these people these designers and these product people are stuck in a perpetual not design sprint but they're perpetually stuck in these you know two-week agile sprints producing assets and uh, solving reactive problems that are coming from who they don't even know where these uh tasks are coming from but they're just constantly in 
reactionary mode and they have yeah. a very difficult very difficult time making any time to create something new for their products and this is not just some small companies this is also the larger ones who we all know they're having trouble with this too and they were excited about the idea that sprints could be a way to break this monotony and move them from a reactionary state to a, a state of taking action, which is ironically the opposite problem that we have in AJ and Smart. But I think that that's a, I guess that's a common, it seems to be a huge issue in almost every company I've worked with over the last five years, six years, where they're saying, you know what, this is all great. All these processes are great. All these workshops are great. But I have to fix this thing that's after being sent, or I need to make this random button that now I need to make because a new a new device came out. Um, how do you think that? I mean, have you seen any great examples of companies balancing this reactive state, which of course you have to be in, right? You have to make stuff. Yeah. With this non-reactive state, I mean, just just from my perspective, the best example are companies who've adopted um, at least what we kind of recommend them to do is doing a two-week back-to-back sprint once every quarter, just booking it in advance so that they're automatically out of this reactive state and doing that with different teams. It tends to make the teams feel like they're in a little bit more control, but it, of course, that's something that a lot of companies are not going to do. There's like a crazy engine sound in the background. Sorry, I just looked out. I was wondering if there was like a, a helicopter landing in Uh-oh. the... On the, on the buildings here um but was i was listening to you i was listening to you it's okay John. matt it's all right <laughs> could you could you just start over with well question? something no. about companies i don't know <laughs> no no but yeah i i think well first of all i think there's kind of a funny thing because we we were talking in one of the previous episodes about how some people haters i call them just haters but they hate on the sprint haters. process because they say oh you're just you're just speeding you can't just you can't speed up design you can't speed it up and i think that it's it's funny because in in many many companies new companies were building great products even but in many companies that that like idealistic design process that those folks who want to diss us are talking about is not happening. No, uh, you know, it's it's just it is just constant reaction mode. Yeah. And so there's you know, there's kind of this like idealized thing of like, oh, well, don't do that, because what you should be doing is this sprawling like quest for creativity and design and and perfection. And like that's I'm sorry, that's not happening. Yeah. Uh, or if you know and, and when it does, it has its own problems. But I think that what. Yeah, what you're describing about like this, this sort of routine, I think that we've seen a lot of where a company starts off a quarter, say, with a sprint or two sprints, ideally, and they've reserved two weeks at the start of every quarter to sprint, do that first sprint, find out where all of the holes are, find out where the gap is between what they have in mind and what people are not understanding understanding and which they they won't in the first the first test usually and then they fix it in the second week and usually you see that dramatic improvement in kind of product market fit for the for the feature whatever as people learn like okay that's where customers heads are at that's where you know we sort of put our started to put our prototype together we're going to make it better and usually the second week they they nail it and then teams who have a really good execution mode for the rest of let's say the quarter that's like a really good cycle because then it also it gives you. I just touched the microphone. So that's sure okay. That's I hate you. Um, <laughs> but th- but that's a really good that's a really good cycle because then the the team is gonna if they can execute well they're gonna have confidence in a big thing and having confidence in a big thing and having enough of a head of steam to go do that big thing and take a while executing it is healthy. I think actually. We are so people say like waterfall process and everybody's like, oh, God, that sucks. What a what an old fashioned, terrible way to build things. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. It's not bad. Actually, what's bad about it is if you do a waterfall process and you don't have a good idea, and you're, you know, you're operating on a hunch that's not good or your plan is not good because it takes a long time. And once you're in that tunnel. Right. But, but because people are like, oh, well, we can't have a we can't have a spec. We can't have you know, we can't. Have, we just have to go fast. We got to move fast and break things. And the, the trouble with that is you do get in this reactionary mode when there's always a sense that things can change. Things can churn yeah. at any time. It's hard to get to a high quality product. So I think you're best off if you start off with the sprints, you get some validation of your hunch or you find out your hunch was wrong you change directions. But once you have confidence 
then you go into a longer process. And then hopefully you have time during that longer process because you you know what shape the product needs to have. You have the time to dig in deep and do that more thorough, just, you know, thinking, get the get the quality there, hopefully get inspired by things and do your best craftsmanship, you know, do great work. And, you know, that's the products that most of us love. They're the products that people spend some time with each cycle of work that they do. They, they spend some time doing it. And it's not all a mad dash. And it's not also all like a hunch and then just like marching on a hunch for years. Um, but it's a combination of the two. Great. I think that was a stunning answer. And I think we can close the topic there. And maybe, I mean, we're already after reaching uh, 46 minutes. So I think we can actually end the podcast maybe with a recommendation from both of us of something interesting. And I'm just going to go for it. Uh, you, once, you, you'll see what I'm talking about once I do it. So <laughs> two episodes, no, three episodes ago, in episode one, we spoke about a book called The Power of Moments, and we we mentioned that it was a great secret weapon for designers because it's not a book necessarily that designers are going to be reading, but the principles in it are amazing principles to use for building products, These this getting in the habit of engineering moments for customers. Now, this week, I have another book. I have another secret weapon. And it came out of nowhere. It just popped out of nowhere. And I'm, I, I had it on my shelf. Honestly, I had it on my shelf for about eight months. And I never even thought to read it. I don't even know where I got it from. I don't know who recommended it to me. So sorry, uh, whoever recommended this to me. <laughs> but it's it's called... Let's say it was me. It was let's you, Jake. Sure, I, yeah. Even I, though you I, didn't I even know what it was. I haven't read it. But let's say. So it's called Radical Candor. Uh, I don't know how this is going to be placed. Uh, well... Anyway, whether you're on YouTube or not, it's called Radical Candor by Kim Scott. And Kim Scott was a, she was a manager at Google. She thought management at Apple. Um, she thought at Twitter. And basically, she's written the best book I've ever read on, I know this doesn't sound interesting, but it's management. It's about managing teams and giving good feedback. The, big, the core of it is about being able to give good, candid, straight feedback without necessarily insulting people, but also without cherry coding everything in a way that people won't understand what, you're, what you actually want. And I think as someone who manages and runs design teams all the time, something that can be pretty difficult, especially when you're dealing with design, which can be seen as subjective I think it's been pretty difficult for me to be able to give design advice, even after nine years of being a designer. I tend to either lean a little bit too much on the nice side, especially if I find the person scary who I'm talking to, <laughs> or I, I maybe go overboard and, and get a little bit insulting, um, which obviously doesn't work either, right? It's it's the, Neither of these approaches work. And this book, even... I'm only now we're, I'm always recommending books after reading the first 30 pages. Um, but this book, I'm I'm around halfway through it. And it's it's going into everything from just how to how to give great feedback meetings, how to help people within companies grow and get better at what they're doing, or people maybe who don't want to grow and want to just get better at exactly what they're doing right now. And just how to identify different types of people on teams. It's just really, really, really amazing. And I think that if I had read this 10 years ago, before I was managing product teams, I would have been able to receive and receive feedback better than I did back then and use that feedback in a way that actually was more constructive. So I think that this book, Radical Candor, if you are in any way involved in products where you have to speak to people and take or give feedback, even just reading the first, like, seriously, the first 50 pages of this book, it's just... It's gold. It's unbelievably good. I also think the writing style is amazing. It's it's one of the nicest written books I've I've read in a long time. It's like cutting with a hot knife through butter. I read like the first <laughs> I read the first half of it in in the first sitting, and I was completely blown away blown away by it. So, Radical Candor by Kim Scott, huge recommendation. Um, another yeah, secret. Been, you've been talking about this uh, all the time to oh me. My God. You were. You were texting me about it, emailing me about it. I don't know. Smoke you were signals. probably Instagramming about it. Smoke signal, everything, every means of communication. And so I, I downloaded the sample on the Kindle and 
I started reading it and uh, same impression. I, I don't even manage people. And in fact, throughout my career, I've actively tried to avoid, uh, I've, I've, every time I got into a management situation, I try to quit as quickly as possible because it's horrible to manage people. But, but I think there's actually good lessons in there for anyone. Yeah. Um, based on, based on, I should say, reading the first 10 pages so far since you told me about it, but it is really good. And the writing is, is really, really clear, clean, nice, keeps you, keeps you going, at least in the beginning. And you really sprung this on me, this idea of having a, a, a product, a secret weapon to share with people. I was frantically looking around my desk for something to stranger grab while things. you were talking. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys heard of stranger things? I, uh, <laughs> But but then you gave me you gave me an idea while you were talking, which was a secret weapon for everybody. What I did not know when I set out to write a nonfiction book. So Sprint is a nonfiction book. Oh, it's Sprint. A business book. I haven't heard of that one. Are you, you're selling it, right? <laughs> Are one. you selling that book? Yeah. Oh, you know what? I just I just so happened to have one right oh. here. Look at that. Yeah. Oh. What what a coincidence. I heard, it's, I heard it's a really bad book, though. Like badly written. But if you, uh, it's, it's a piece. It is a piece. But uh, I'll tell you something that I did not know that eh, many people may know, but I didn't know. When I set out, to, we started writing Sprint, started talking to our agent about it. If you're writing a fiction book, a novel, then you, you got to write the whole thing and then you try to sell the whole thing to, to a publisher based on the, if the whole thing is good or not. But that's not the way it works with nonfiction. If you pick up a business book like like this, uh, we didn't write the whole thing before the publisher agreed to publish it. We wrote a proposal for the book. And what the proposal usually is, is the roughly the introduction to the book and then kind of a business plan for who the target audience is, how we might market the book, and uh, also an outline of the book in detail. You know, like like in the first chapter, this will happen and it talks a little bit about it. Now, if you pick up almost any business book, you will find that people have done what we did, quite honestly, it's just to reuse the proposal in the beginning of the book. Cause you don't want to have to rewrite all. I mean, you already wrote 20, 30 good pages and you put everything you could into that. Cause you're trying at that point to get a publisher to buy the book. So at that point you're thinking about how can I explain this idea as clearly as possible? How can I make it intriguing? And I want to kind of like give away enough of the content so that it's believable and credible. And by the time you're done with that, you look at that and you're like, well, Hey, that's that's the way we should start the book. So here's the secret the secret for for readers. If you pick up a nonfiction book and you find that the beginning is great, it's telling you this idea. You feel like you're getting it. Things are clicking. This writing is great. And if you've ever had this experience, and I'm not saying this about radical candor because I haven't I haven't read it yet. Uh, I don't it's know probably great all the way through. It's probably great all the way through. But many business books are not great all the way through, and they're best in the introduction. It's okay to stop after the introduction. If you feel like you got through the introduction and you got a good idea, you you may have already gotten ninety percent of the yeah. value you'll, from the whole book. That's not true of Sprint. Absolutely page, not. Well, you, you cheated with Sprint amazing. though, because it's got the exercises spread throughout the entire book, so you kind of cheated a little bit. It does, but I will tell you the truth. If you read the introduction and the the first you know the first story about Savvy Oak, you'd have. You you would know what a sprint is, yeah, right. You, you'd have the idea, and and it wouldn't be, yeah. You wouldn't know how to how, how to do it, and obviously that's the case with most books. There's more in the rest of them, but they have to have the whole idea in the beginning because that's the way they write the proposal. So it's a it's a trick. It is a trick for readers. Uh, read the beginning, and if, yeah. I, I that's so weird that you you said this by the way because in my notes, my next thing that I wanted to say is that. In episode one, I talked. I spoke about the power of moments, and I hadn't finished it yet. And I was telling you how amazing it was. And I was about halfway through the book. And my opinion now, based on that, and also reading a couple of other books um, over the last few years, a couple of other books, is that yeah, it's exactly that. Honestly, if you feel like you've gotten enough out of the first half of it or the first hour of reading, then don't feel bad that you didn't finish it. And I think that's something that I have a really bad habit of is that I feel guilty for not finishing books <laughs> really really yeah. guilty and, I, and i'm too. like yeah. i build them yeah. up and i'm like oh no i didn't finish it but with what like really now now that you say that as well it's kind of confirmed my thought that you know what and, and the, for example the artist's way 
deleted this book yeah. here. I know I just wanted that for the intro because I wanted to learn about the morning pages and I actually don't want to do any of the exercises which are 80% of the book. I'm not I'm not going to do any of those other uh the the weekly program that they offer, but just reading the intro to this book was always already more than enough value for me. However, this book um Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Wilnick uh I think I'm actually going to read this the whole way through, uh, through because the text well, is huge. Well, each page has like 10 words on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. The so. text is so huge. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like an amazing, like if you're on YouTube, just like it's, look at this. It's so aggressive. It's, it's really. It looks like the, it looks like when you used to get a, you know, like a CD or record, but really a CD because you would have True. a long booklet and like that looks like it would be the, the liner notes, like the lyrics to an Alice in Chains uh album that's funny that you say that because kyle um also one of my colleagues at aj and smart earlier when i showed it to him he was like that looks like a lincoln park or new metal <laughs> cd cover um yeah it does look like that but i think i'm going to finish that book i think i'm also going to finish radical candor but i would be amazed if it continues to give me the amount of insight that i've gotten already in the first one hour it's been i literally haven't been able to like i'm just highlighting everything, uh, um, dog-earing every single page. Really, really amazing book. Okay, great. So I think that's enough. That's enough podcast. That's more, that is more than enough. We are that on 57 minutes. Yeah, yeah, we've got like 57 minutes of podcast. So Jake, where can people find you online if they have questions? They can find me online at jakenapp.com and oh. at, on Twitter at jakek. At J-A-K-E-K. JakeNap.com is so old school. Like, here's my website. Here's my GeoCities website. (laughs) Visit me on the World Wide Web at (laughs) GeoCities.com. Forward slash. (laughs) Forward slash the internet. Great. Perfect. My bulletin board. You can can dial into my bulletin board. Oh, my God. That would be so cool. We should have a bulletin board. I mean, I'm going to have to make a... I bought the... um, Domain name Product Breakfast Club podcast. So we have it. Now I have to. I Wait, just Product we, Breakfast Club podcast? I think it's you, just productbreakfastclub.com. Uh, okay, the, I was going to say, because yeah. if productbreakfastclub.com was taken, that's really. No, it's not. Would have been um, but what I have to do is I need to make a website. So actually, you know, every podcast is sponsored by Squarespace. This podcast should. Like I'm going to use Squarespace for it, so that's just going to, you need Do you to. Do you think host. they will sponsor us if we use it? Like, I think like, they need people to listen to the podcast um, to sponsor uh, it. I think that's how uh, they. That's probably do why it. people would want to sponsor it if people were listening. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense actually. Should, should that's I just probably do why, what they? Why they? I could just do a sponsorship ad now. You know, like one of those. Use the code four zero two Johnny Boy. <laughs> on okay, great. So you can use that on Squarespace and good luck. See what happens. <laughs> Just see what happens. So you can find me at J ice cream. It's J and then the word ice cream on Instagram mainly. Um, it's not like my, I'm not posting professional design related stuff on there, but uh, you can definitely catch me there. And also on Twitter, <laughs> I don't really like Twitter that much. It's like the cool thing about Instagram is that you don't feel sad after using it. Like with Twitter, <laughs> with Twitter, you open it this up. This sounds like a good topic for another episode. Yeah, it is. We should I'm, talk about this. I'm just going to give it a bullet point. So Instagram, you open it up. What you see is pictures of nice food, pictures of nice landscapes, pictures of nice looking people. None of those are from my Instagram account, by the way. And it's like, you just feel, you just don't feel like you're not like, oh my God, the world is falling apart. And you go onto Twitter or you go onto Facebook and it's like, everyone's dead. And it's like, oh, come on. I just wanted a little, I just want to have a look at, you know, and it's just it's always so negative and everyone's so angry and everyone's outraged about everything. And it's like, just go back to, just, I want to go back to Instagram and just curl up in a corner and look at some pictures of waffles. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting. I have never heard that sort of take on social media. Yeah. And I feel like myself, I, I allow myself to do one thing because otherwise I would just get way too into it. And yeah. I limit the amount of time I spend even on Twitter yeah. because I'd get way too into it. But maybe, maybe, I mean, it would be kind of funny to do. I could, I could try doing Instagram for a while and we could see it. Maybe I'll like, I'll start being more cheerful on the podcast. You Instagram's see me, like, great. And the yeah. stories as well, do, being able to, like, I, I do the daily updates, the stories. It's basically like having a vlog, 
but you you have like zero stress to make it good so it's like today my vlog was like i don't know me getting these books <laughs> that's it like you know it's not and people people comment on and people talk and there's like a dialogue and when you post something on twitter especially when i write one of my articles jesus i get so you know it's just like a lot of rage right people get outraged or people <laughs> and you know it's just like this this vibe of okay oh yeah i'm on twitter oh there's something there i need to get angry about it quick so that other people see that i'm a good person um whereas on instagram it's just like i just click like on this um picture of someone's extremely ripped abs um yeah you would you would really question me if you saw my instagram because i'm really into yeah like, now i'm fitness. starting to wonder the more you talk about it the less yeah i have a lot i follow a lot of fitness accounts because i i, I want to look at these um pictures and say ah oh, damn it i really should go to the gym but every so often i'm kind of sitting there looking at instagram and my wife will just look over and i'm like just just ignore these oiled up men i i, I want to be them i want to be these men <laughs> doesn't help well that i think i mean and now we're kind of veering into oiled up men that is the downside of instagram i think is that it's more it's more perfect life crafting oh but that's uh, so much better twitter what's i guess but then it's also like oh why is my life so perfect whereas on twitter you're like yeah everything sucks uh, I think that I uh, think that okay, we well, need a balance. I think it's time. I think we have to do an, a, a Freaky Friday experiment where you yeah. do Twitter for an amount of time, I do Instagram for an amount of time, and then we like we compare notes about what happened yes. when we crossed the streams. Uh, no future episode of the Product Breakfast Club. Can't wait for that one, Jake. It was lovely talking to you, and talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Product Breakfast Club with Jake Knapp and Jonathan Courtney. You can check out past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. We have many more great discussions coming soon. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share and leave us a review. The one thing that would really blow our minds is a five-star review. (laughs) Wow, that would be really nice. This podcast is produced by Kit, Brittany and Patrick for AJ and Smart.